This is a certified Big Soy Naturals classic. I have a I look like Jared Padalecki. I got them supernaturals. So my value right now is zero. If you think about it, AI is actually the fastest path to communism. When I smoke the blue and I smoke the purple, smoking on the blunt because I want to run. It's all so adorable, but you can't have it. When I hit the blunt, it's a pick and cut. Enforced farming is really not a vibe. On strike, shut I'm Greg Daniels, I'm the showrunner for The Office, and this is our second day of picketing in order to shut down our own show and uh, help the strike. Yeah. On strike, shut it down, Hollywood's a union town. Steve Carell won't cross a Writers Guild picket line, he's a Writers Guild member and a Laurel Award winner. The IATSE crew are going to be laid off and they've come up to us and said that they completely support us even though knowing they're going to get laid off. You're watching this on the internet, a thing that pays us zero dollars. Hello Norwegians. I would like to talk to you. Hello Norwegians. Are there any black people in Norway? I looked it up. You guys don't do a census, so kind of hard to tell looking like it's it's less than 2% black people, but I am willing to move there. <laughs> I am willing to move there tomorrow. If any of you will donate the cost of a plane ticket to Norway on Patreon. That's right. <laughs> Big Soy Naturals has cracked the top 10 of philosophy podcasts in Norway. Woo. Why? What do you like about us over there? Please send us an email. I'm really interested. We also, don't forget, we cracked top 10 in Ireland as well. Yeah, top, um, top 10 in Ireland. I have no bad things to say about the Irish. They're cool. Um, yeah. Are there three Scandinavian countries? I'm revealing some American ignorance, but like there's, there's Norway, right? There's Denmark. There's Sweden. Is there another one? Finland? Finland. Oh, Finland. Finland's kind of like the forgotten cousin because I forgot them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but if I if I were to rank them, and this is not because the Norwegians are listening to us and they love us, I would put Norway at the top, uh, like of the list of Scandinavians. I'm not really sure where they would fall in my ranking of countries overall. Probably pretty low, but like Denmark. My experience with Denmark is like I know two different white people from Denmark probably goes without saying that they're white I know two different people from Denmark um and they like to claim that there's no racism in Denmark so Denmark is pretty low Sweden I don't really know that much about them I know that they've got like you know that's that's the Swiss with the banks what do the Swedish do they have do they have skiing they They, have uh, have, girl with a dragon tattoo they have that right but That's Norway's the... got like the, they've got the music, you know, everyone is always talking about Norwegian black metal and it is pretty good. What did the fin, Finnish, Finnish do? Which one of the Scandinavian countries made that band Men Without Hats? The ones that have like the, we can dance if we want to like karaoke song, that one. I don't know which one it is, but I know Iceland. it was like one of those ones. Iceland mm. is, is also... Maybe I think one of the Scandinavian countries. 
Yeah, no. Hats are from Canada. <laughs> They're just from <laughs> Quebec. <laughs> so okay, Quebec Wikipedia, Wikipedia.org. Um, Scandinavia is just Denmark, Norway, and Sweden. So I was right. Oh, okay, you were, no, you were wrong. But then, <laughs> then there's the Nordic countries, which does okay. include like Finland, Greenland, Iceland. Um, but I, you know, was I was googling Norway earlier because you know we're t- we're top ten, and I googled Norway black people. That takes me to a different Wikipedia page um, that tells me that they are. There very few of them, and then because there's so few of them, there is just a page called Notable Afro Norwegians because, like, <laughs> they can just list all of the <laughs> well-known black people that they One have. Page. <laughs> like they're all right and here. like literally almost all of them are football players. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then there's one in the category other because that, that those are the two categories: sports and other. And in other. <laughs> It is murder victim. So <gasps> Norway, I'm a little bit concerned, <laughs> but I'm I'm willing to open open my heart, open my eyes, because you like me, so I'm willing to like. Maybe you back. they're tuning in to to learn. Yeah, yeah, to learn and to listen to sit at the table. Maybe you could be their first black micro influencer. That yeah. could be fun. And and that on the subject fun. of black people. It's time to introduce Ashlyn. <laughs> Ashlyn is guesting. Ashlyn is guesting. Ashlyn is a BIPOC, just like me, but in a different way than me. Ashlyn is a Black Italian person of color. Ashlyn is a tastemaker, a trendsetter, a visionary, a local genius, has a snatched waist. Ashlyn knows everything, and you should hire her. Ashlyn uses she, her pronouns, so different from me and Kendall, but cool. And Ashlyn is also a writer, knows a lot about film, has a lot of really smart opinions, and that's why she's here. Thank, thank you for that. I, I <laughs> like, want to start, like, having you or someone, like, to introduce me or talk about me because I hate doing, like, oh, tell me about yourself. And that's great, like, if someone else can just always read that you just have to come through with like the the waist to hip ratio um measurements when people sure are yeah you, i'll just like, tell, i'll just tell stand there yourself like, <laughs> yeah like like a little oscar statuette take out and, the measure uh, tape. yeah thank you thank you for having me on yeah um what are we talking about today kendall we are talking about um, we were talking about the crimes of Joss Whedon. We are talking about specifically Dr. Horrible. And we are, we are reviewing an oral history of the 2007 and 2008 writer's strike. That's what we yeah. are doing today. Mostly we're going to be misogynist hours. to Felicia Day. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> well, it's, it's real communist hours, real misogyny hours. Um, I feel like this fits kind of in theme also since we were just very mean to, to John and Hank Green. And I think that Joss Whedon is in their, uh, like not in their actual universe, like he's not a nerd fighter, but he's like spiritually the same as the two of them they they're He's both like, fighter adjacent for sure yeah. yeah well and i think they've all got the same like pent-up resentment towards like popular guys and that kind of informs mm-hmm. like the basis Absolutely. of their work 
Um, and they're like, I'm a feminist, but in a way that means like women should date me because I'm yeah. nice. <laughs> it's, it's this constant um, adage of nice guys finish last that is just uh, embodied throughout of all of Joss's work and some of, of John and Hank's work. Yeah, I feel like the whole, like, nice guys trope has really been, like, I mean, like, where, like, the myth of it has been, like, talked about to death. But, like, after reviewing some of Joss's content um, for this episode, I really did forget, like, how pervasive the the previous narrative was until we all decided that it was, like, really corny. Um, and it, yeah, just made me feel, yet again, like, I miss when men were men. Um <laughs> but <laughs> you miss toxic masculinity i do like the yeah. real toxic well like the I, the other day i was having a really hard time opening up a jar and i was like damn like if only like if only there was a strong man around okay um, sometimes when you open a bottle or a jar it hurts it hurts yeah. too much the well, little nubby like, parts that's what men are for is, yeah is to like do stuff for you and now they don't do stuff anymore because they're too weak. They're too busy wearing bow ties and making vlogs. Um, and it sucks. So let's Dr. talk Earl about- was definitely spiritually wearing a bow tie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, always wearing Was he not actually? No. He was not actually, but like, yeah, like the fact that you had to ask, like, <laughs> it's like, didn't I see him in one? I swear yeah, to God, I, I, I wearing a bow tie with suspenders. I mean, I just rewatched <laughs> it, and I feel like I remember him playing ukulele, but he definitely did not. And like, it's just it was just <laughs> there very, spiritually um, all the time. Mandela effect is what mm -hmm. they call that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but okay, let's talk about the writers' strike. Um, the other reason that we're talking about this is because um, some cool things are happening. The IATSE strike just got. Um, approved by IATSE membership with like 90% turnout and I believe a 98% like vote of yes which is super cool and so it made us think about a time when a different strike happened and when Josh, Josh made some bad content so every year the WGA which is the Writers Guilds of America or every three years not every year they like negotiate a new contract with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. And that contract is called the Minimum Basic Agreement or the MBA. Um, and so like in 2007, they were beginning those negotiations. They reached an impasse and they like voted or the membership of WGA voted to give its board uh, like authorization to call a strike which it did on Friday, November 2nd, 2007. And then the strike began the following Monday. I was, I think, how old was I? I was 11, maybe. Yeah, I was 11 years old. But I do remember the strike happening. Um, and I remember also that this was like going on like right around the same time as the presidential elections and everyone was weighing in i found some really fun quotes from rudy giuliani being like they should just let me in like at the negotiation <laughs> table like because <laughs> i feel like i could <laughs> i could really bring them together i've got a lot of experience doing negotiations he's italian uh yeah just like you actually yeah he's representing the best of, he's got those uh, powerful hand movements people. you know I, I feel like that that really had like 
Mark Wahlberg saying he could have stopped 9-11. And he, like, he's like, if I had been on the plane. Yeah. He's like, just let me get in there. Let me get in the room. Uh. The meteor was about to hit the dinosaurs. I would simply move out of the way. You know? Yeah. So the, the strike lasted for like not really that long, like only from November 5th to February 12th. And I feel like in my brain, I remembered it as being a lot longer. And I think that that's probably because of the like lasting effects of the writer's strike. But well, it, was a, time, it was 100 days. Um, yeah, which it was is really like long, pretty for, a long for a strike. I think yeah. um, it was only there was only like one other one that was longer and it was like 153 days. But that's like forever in production. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, it's a really long time. And also that's like a lot of money that people like are not making during that time. Um, and yeah, 12,000 film and television writers went on strike. Um, what were like some of the issues that they were going on strike for? I mean, it was like, the I think like, this strike was mostly about um, one, just like mm-hmm. higher pay and also um, concerning new media, mm-hmm. which would be like streaming and the internet. Um, you know, it, it was yeah. newer, <laughs> new at the time. Uh, and, it, you know, there wasn't as big of like a stream. It was definitely um, like a, a building on an already established um, idea of negotiating for um, as new media and new media formats arise. There was back in 1985, a rise for a demand for like people to get um, like compensation for direct to VHS and DVD releases um, home video became a big thing and that became a huge factor within, um, payment and comp- fair, eh, fair compensation. Um, and new media was just starting to come out. YouTube had just come out maybe in 2006. So, um, as that was building up and as, uh, writers like say Donald Glover were getting discovered on places like YouTube, there was a need for, um, <laughs> figuring out how web um factored in to um movies and tv okay can we talk for a second i i have more to say about that my man donald glover um (laughs) i just like i am so fascinated that he (laughs) shouted out tina fey at like like 30 different times in his first album only for Tina Fey to like publicly reveal in an interview that he was he was free like that she only hired him because she got like a free (laughs) black guy or a free black person and then like and that was how he got his like writer's job and I mean I just feel like that's so disrespectful and I don't understand why he would stand a woman that would say that he was free labor. Um, I actually learned about this from you, Ashlyn, like that black people are free um, on TV sets. That is like partially true. Uh, I mean, like there are, there's basically like a writer's room will get um basically like little diversity credit from the network and they'll be like hey if you find a poc uh 
and you want to bring them on, then like, I think, I don't know how many it is. Like I've never worked in a writer's room. I have not even worked for free for the, the production in a writer's room. Uh, but like, they'll basically pay that person um, out of the network budget and not out of the show's budget because the show only has so much money that they can use to hire writers. And so it's like a way that they can get someone, yeah, for free or just like not from the show's budget. And it's also like, look, we hired, we hired one. Yeah. And doesn't that result like from what I remember you telling me about this before that when like the show moves on to its next season, like if that part of the like network's budget isn't renewed, like that means that that person doesn't get brought on um, like to full-time staff or like have their contract renewed because they're not considered like part of the same staff team. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure it's just for like staff writers, which is staff writer is like the lowest title you could have in the room. Uh, and, like, as you progress, like, you know, you get the experience on a season or two, like, you would think, or, like, how it's supposed to work, you know, as you move up a little, like, incrementally, like, your title changes, um, all the way up through, like, executive producer, um, I, I don't know all of them in order (laughs) off the top of my head, but you basically, like, your title changes to, like, producer, the higher up you go, Um, but, like, the network won't pay for, like, a higher level writer. It's just supposed to be, like, to get people into the industry, you know, like, hey, like, here's a, here's your foot in the door, I guess, like, a little diversity hire, but, yeah, what happens is then, like, hey, we got renewed for season two, and then this person is, like, maybe expecting to move up or something. They, they basically just get stuck at staff writer uh level uh longer it seems cool so it's like tokenizing and useless yeah um and i'm so glad that donald glover benefited from that and that tina fey felt comfortable sharing that information about him publicly Um, (laughs) remember how he was gonna audition for kenneth and she decided he wasn't white enough to be kenneth he wanted to he wanted to write for kenneth and tina was like i was so shocked that he would want to write for kenneth instead of (laughs) instead of tracy like i just couldn't imagine why and it's like because he's a he's a dork so he related to the dorky character um I mean, isn't that, like, uh, uh, the whole joke with that character on 30 Rock, uh, Twofer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, Twofer like two was, one. like, the diversity hire where you get you get the black guy and you also get the guy that went to Harvard. Um, there you go. Uh, I miss Tina Fey. You know, may she rest <laughs> in peace. I don't know where she is now, but she's somewhere out there. Um, Yeah, I think like some important background for the strike was that in 1985, the Writers Guild went on strike over the home distribution market, which was like all the way back when VHS VHS tapes, I can't talk, were a brand new thing. And at that time, like, while they were trying to get a higher residual of the VHS tapes distribution, which just means like... um, 
that after like a certain amount of like VHS tapes are sold, I don't know why I can't say that word, VHS, hard. I'm glad that they're gone now. Sorry, Kendall. Um, but after that, <laughs> like <laughs> a writer would receive like 0.3% of the first million of reported gross and then 0.36% after of each tape sold. Um, and this was like a pretty low amount. Um, and the only reason that writers agreed to that at the time was because um, the AMPTP was saying that they weren't sure exactly how big of a market this was going to be. They didn't want to agree to like a super high residual amount when they weren't sure if this was going to be successful or not. The production costs for VHS tapes were, were really high, and so they needed some more time before they could agree to like a larger amount. Also at this time, like VHS tapes were selling for $40 to $100, which is crazy to think about. Um, but I guess they were like pretty new technology. But DVDs were introduced in 1996, and they were much less expensive to produce, much less expensive to buy. At that point, like the home distribution market was a huge part of the way that the like TV and film industry made its money. And yet that residual rate remained the same. So in 2007, when the writers were going to negotiate over new media like uh, contracts or like new media uh, residuals, the like bosses pulled the same line of argument that, oh, we really don't know exactly like how big of a deal digital is going to be. Um, and so we don't want to agree to too high of an amount because it might not might not pan out as if anyone thought that like digital distribution wasn't going to be like part of the future of TV and film. And so like, since they were um, just like really trying to take a larger residual amount off the table, that was a big part of why the writers went on strike. And they were also asking for a higher amount um with DVD residuals, and they wanted to um, be included in reality TV and animation um, like contracts because um, the way that their minimum basic agreement was applied to other TV and film categories that weren't like live action was really inconsistent over the years. And that's also why, um, like, in the wake of the writer's strike, there were just like this influx of reality TV content because um, it wasn't part of the Writers Guild. So I like I think that the, the biggest part of it was like digital content, which makes Josh's role in all of this uh, all, all the more suspect. <laughs> you know what's like even worse because I was like just refreshing myself on things about Joss Whedon is that it's short for Joseph? What? Oh, ew. So, <laughs> Joseph. I think it should be Joseph. Joss? Because I'm like, like huh? guys who are Christopher that go by Topher. It's like, who are you kidding? Like, <laughs> you know, like, we're like, Quirky. actually, I was about to say, it's like guys like Alexander who go by Xander instead of Alex, but doesn't Josh himself have, have a Xander in Buffy? Yes. He true. does. And, yes. and that's like his... Like his nice guy nerd character, right? Uh, 
Yes. No. Yeah. He is for at least the first couple seasons. He is his like nice guy nerd character. Um, up until he like gets a couple of like swords and powers and shit. I think some math is mathing there. Yeah. 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 I feel so lucky that like you know, in addition to being genetically superior as as a black person, I also just avoided a lot of Josh Whedon content because it like seemed very much like it was for white people, and I think that his like distaste for black people was pretty palpable. <laughs> Um, in a lot of it, like, I'm not saying that, like, there weren't black fans of Buffy, but I feel like the parts of it that I was able to catch, it was obvious to me that he didn't like black people. And so it just made me not really want to watch it. I know that, um, they like the first ever Buffy, what are they called? What, what are the Buffys um, called? They're Slayers, right? Cause she's Oh, a slayer. Slayers. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. first ever Buffy was a black girl. And Buffy, like, makes fun of her dreadlocks. It's like a, you know, it's Mm -hmm. a whole thing. Josh doesn't like black people. So I missed out on a lot of his, like, earlier work. Yeah, I mean, it's good that you did. Um, There is, (laughs) there's two things I think that are part of of Joss's oeuvre that I think we'll get into once we start talking about it. Um, One is just his racism. And it comes just not, not only in the fact that he palpably hates black people, but he will also take literally anything from a- Asian cultures and just put it <laughs> put it in his in his movies in his shows. I was like all of Firefly. Yeah, all of Firefly. Mm-hmm. All of Firefly is just like him being like. It's basically like um, t- like how Blade Runner was like um, basically taking the hypothetical history of like what if Japan won World War Two. Um, but just applying it to like sci-fi, but like, but without any of like the World War II context or hypothetical history to like get behind it. So it's a very common theme in like a lot of sci-fi, but in particularly with Joss's work. And the other is just his nice guy, uh, nice guys finish last behavior, even in his adaptation of Much Ado About Nothing, which it shouldn't have come through at all, considering that it is just word for word Shakespeare. So, like, I don't even know how he managed that, but he did. Wow. I have a message for the like, ladies, yeah. um, the ladies listening, um, the heterosexuals in particular. <laughs> so I feel like we've all we've all reached a point where we've agreed that the idea of, like, waiting for the right person to have sex with or, like, waiting until marriage or waiting until you're serious, like, that's all, you know, bunk, it's sexist, do whatever you want. But I will say... That, that the most important card that you carry in your arsenal as a straight woman is not when you have sex with someone, but who you finally choose to watch Blade Runner with. Um, mm. You should hold on to that for as long as possible. Try to be the girl that's never seen Blade Runner. Um, <laughs> and, and, and it'll be like a special treat to give to a special man in your life who will go, oh my god, I can't believe you've never seen Blade Runner. I have to show you. Um, you know, you can only you can only Then you get a strap that. in for two to four hours. Yeah, you can only have that reaction happen authentically <laughs> once. And so I would just be really cautious about who you give that to. 
um, or maybe maybe <laughs> never, you know, maybe be Blade Runner celibate. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, I think as as Tumblr, you Tumblrinas got older. Uh, I think Joss started to gain some like more haters. Um, but for quite a while, and especially during this time of like 2007 to 2008, he was like really resting on his laurels of being like. The, the cool nerd director. King of the nerds, yeah, people yeah. loved him. Yeah, King of the Nerds. They did call him King of the Nerds like, you, all the are time. Are serious? Yes, oh, my dude. God. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, like, we have the actual goals for the writer's strike written down, and I feel like it's probably important to just, like, reproduce it in its own words. So the first was fair initial compensation and residuals for writing for the internet and other non-traditional media, increased initial compensation in all areas, um, increased minimums and residuals for the CW Television Network. Shout out to the CW Television Network. Shout out to Gilmore. We Gilles. love Riverdale. Shout, I mean, Riverdale <laughs> was not on at the time. Um, <laughs> this is about. But I love it now. This is about Gilmore Girls. This is about Supernatural. <laughs> this is, I think, maybe about Gossip Girl. Um, increased DVD and video cassette residual payments. And then the final thing is expanded WGA coverage of reality programs and animation. And the, oh, sorry, the final one is address product integration. So this strike began in November. Um, there were a few different things that the ghouls, the bosses tried to do to like circumvent the strike. One was like they ordered a bunch of pilots, um, like, right before so that they could have tv in production they it also i like in my research i feel like everything everything it all comes back to hillary clinton she really is like <laughs> the source of so much evil it also comes back to bill but you know like you know how i feel about women um <laughs> <laughs> so like AM, AMPTP hired Chris Lahane and Mark Fabiani, who's Italian, um, in December to do like crisis management, opposition research, like typical boss schoolishness. They were best known for working for Bill Clinton during the Monica Lewinsky era um, and then the Whitewater scandal. Do you guys know what the Whitewater scandal is? Because I like yes. I have to look it up. Okay, what is it? I do. Oh my god, it was. Uh, it's like it has something like, to do with real estate. Yes. So I don't know like everything about it, but I do remember my parents like talking incessantly about it for like weeks on end. Um, it was basically it began with like an investigation into the real estate investments of Bill and Hillary oh. um, and their associates, uh, the McDougals, Jim and Susan um, in the Whitewater Development Corporation. They were basically doing um, y your bog standard white collar crime. Um, okay, that's, I, that's some good context because that means, okay, so that these two guys, Chris Lahane and Mark Fabiani, who were hired by AMPTP, had basically helped Bill Clinton crisis, crisis manage, like abusing a young woman, Monica Lewinsky, and also covering up their real estate scandal. So that's cool. Um, their strategy was just like to weaken the WGA membership's resolve and foment resentment and doubt and like make the rank and file feel um, 
like distrustful of WGA leadership, and they they wrote an open letter. Um, Ashlyn, do you want to read? Do you want to read part of the open letter? Do you want to put because you're Italian, um, and they wrote it in their Italian? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, like yeah, I could definitely feel some kinship there. Uh, just uh, I imagine this part like the right at the beginning yeah um yeah an open letter to the entertainment industry from the amptp as the wga initiated strike now enters its seventh week the strike's economic consequences are growing more severe by the day the below the line workers whose families depend entirely on our industry have already lost more than 200 million dollars in the los angeles area alone and the healthcare benefits for many of these families are now in real jeopardy because of the WGA strike. Shall I keep going? Yeah, keep going. <laughs> Am I just doing, I, I'm uh... really like I'm really moved. I'm really compelled. <laughs> Am I just doing these highlighted uh, these yeah. highlights here? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, in the face of these crippling losses and the real hardships that average working families are now facing during the holidays. We wonder whether the people in charge at the WGA now regret openly bragging in the media that we are winning this strike or appearing before the cameras like a rock star. Havoc has certainly been wrecked by the WGA's (laughs) actions, but it is now clear that there are no winners in this strike. Simply put, the strike cannot be resolved until the working writers, who are a valued and vital part of our business community, decide that their union should adopt a reasonable, consistent, and practical negotiating negotiating strategy. It is simply not reasonable to persuade union members to authorize a strike over new media issues, and then to create a negotiating deadlock over jurisdictional issues that would have little benefit for working writers. It is not consistent to proclaim at a rally one day that the jurisdictional issues will be in the final contract, while saying the next day that the strike is about new media. Unfortunately for all of us, the WGA's existing unreasonable, inconsistent, and impractical negotiating strategy is guaranteed to produce only losers in this strike. The WGA's organizers refused to engage in early bargaining and then started the strike, and their subsequent negotiating tactics have ensured that the hardships suffered by below the line workers and their families will continue to worsen. That's so classic Italian. It's like, you know, that's a really nice like paycheck that you've got over there from your from your writing job. It would be a shame um, if you can't <laughs> feed your family because <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah, you want like, a, a contract that uh, like... provides you with better pay. I felt like I was blacking out while I was reading that because it was just like <laughs> word salad. How much I, um, would you get? How much do you think that someone should get paid to write something like this? Because I feel like my biggest issue with it, I mean, like aside from the ghoulishness of it all, is that it's just like very um, unoriginal. Like I, I would really like to see some more original disorganizing content um, from them because like every single union opposition campaign does this where they're like, oh, the union leadership is like acting of their own accord, like un against the will of the membership, even though like obviously the the rank and file membership had to vote to authorize this strike. 
but just being like, oh, the union's like not really acting in your interest. But the, the bosses, us, we we just want to work with you. We want to work with you so badly. And if it weren't for the big, big, bad union that is you, um, <laughs> well, we, could, we could all come together. Whoever's, I mean, this whole thing is like all the greatest hits of, of this organizing, you know, especially the parts where they're saying where they basically try to uh, characterize these people as like appearing on camera trying to appear like they're big and bad and that they're rock stars and blah 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 as if anyone who gets on camera to talk about the strike that they are participating in thinks for of tv and film for tv, for and, TV film. and film <laughs> and i mean if you're if you're putting this statement out like someone <laughs> this is against you know a writer's union and like writer's union so whoever is writing this obviously uh not union so i mean maybe the quality maybe that has something to do with it you know yeah Um, well they they wouldn't get hired they wouldn't get hired in a writer's room definitely not but they did get hired by bill clinton and they charged 100k 100k a month um oh my god yeah i feel like the worse you are at doing things like the more money you get paid. Um, that's, just, speaking, that's just the power of the free market. Yeah. Well, and so speaking of the free market, um, who were some other losers that broke the strike? Aaron Sorkin. But he loves the free market. Um, he said some really funny things when discussing the writer's strike, where he said, I never even understood the issue behind the strike because I don't know anything about technology. If you want the extra cents, <laughs> write better. Your agent will get it for you. Let the markets work. <laughs> Did he write this with a quill and pen? My God. Did he? <laughs> yeah. Which is funny because I, you know, as I was looking into Aaron Sorkin's history as like a showrunner and a boss, he had a mass exodus from the set of The West Wing because he promised um, like pretty significant raises each year to his writing staff that then just like didn't materialize so i don't know what he means about letting the market work it seems like maybe you need a union to enforce your contract he doesn't know how technology works how would you get the money to how would you put money into their hands that's too high tech i don't think he knows what currency it currently is (laughs) since he's using a pen and quill to yeah write these statements anyway he thinks you trade in like the barter system he thought if they gave he gave them like a gumball that'd be enough yeah aaron sorkin is another one of those guys that hates women but i feel like his his hatred is a little bit more like palpable um than joss whedon's because he's he likes to have like sexy um I don't know how to pronounce her name. Tommy Lauren, Tommy, Tommy Lauren, whatever. <laughs> doesn't matter. Yeah, but it like doesn't. on the West Wing and on the newsroom, he loves having like a sexy, like blonde Republican, like be the one that says like anti-feminist things to the men who are like, but don't, but don't, don't you, don't you want the right to choose what to do with your body? And she's like, no, I want a man to tell me. <laughs> he also loves he loves having men get on stage and say that um like america now sucks but god damn it used to be so good huh yeah. oh my god. loves god. having yeah. men tell 
yell at women on like stages and tell them that America used to be the greatest place on earth and now it just sucks because they're here. I mean, it makes so much sense that he like did To Kill a Mockingbird like as a play because I feel like Atticus Finch is just like like this type of white dude's like dream. It's just like monologues just like of how like how things yeah used to be great or like I don't know it's just like some some image they have of of Atticus Finch like it just it just <laughs> con- it makes so much sense this uh, well, whole, good men the... where is your humanity yeah. like oh my gosh yeah. shut <laughs> up the, the trial of the Chicago seven um oh, I don't know if yeah. you watched that but it was so bad like, I think there's... I watched one episode and I was like mm-hmm. I, I I, it might be a movie or not the, oh I'm sorry I was thinking of uh what was the other thing that came out the miniseries I know what you're talking yeah. about yeah why is this man churning out so much content but the trial <laughs> of the Chicago seven is so bad I would recommend the movie the trial of the Chicago eight that is pretty good but in the Aaron Sorkin edition um I'm not going to care about spoiling it for people it literally ends with like the um one of the like main white guy characters reading off like the list of all of the veterans that are killed in the Vietnam War in the courtroom and everyone is standing up with their like hands over their heart and the opposition lawyer like gets up and also like stands at attention and the other opposition lawyer who's like kind of more of the villain is like why are you doing this he's like out of respect and it's like (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's it's classic like Aaron Sorkin vision of the world where like this person just sent people to prison but we're supposed to be like "Eh, you know but like his his heart's like in the he loves America like he's you know they're all making decisions out of out of love for the United States, and that's the most important thing that it's any like of us that, can do. Uh, that Bin Laden episode of the newsroom. Oh God! With the yeah. speech on the plane, like yeah, we shot Bin Laden. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he really does like to, to do that, and he likes to reuse like the same exact phrases. Um, My head just... is that he voted for Trump. <laughs> oh. Did you see that letter he sent his his daughters after Trump was elected? No. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, that was we'll, awful. we'll link that in the description. It's really Yeah, bad. if you want to read it. But okay, <laughs> for so a certain Aaron, amount of money a month, I'll I'll do a dramatic reading. Aaron Sorkin was just one of a few characters who uh, decided to hate workers during the writers' mm-hmm. strike. Um, there was a whole thing with a lot of the like late night show hosts where yeah. um, like they were still producing content during the strike, um, whereas actually like some showrunners did not want to break the strike and cross the picket line. So they stopped working on their projects, um, especially because like some of the TV networks had um, like rushed the production of a bunch of pilots. And so like they didn't want to work on these like during the strike so production companies sent them breach of contract letters and suspended them without pay like fox suspended most of their showrunners without pay during that time but other people were not as cool for example ellen degenerate was not ellen the generous (laughs) um and in fact (laughs) just like kept her show going during that time and so the wgae issued a statement saying that she wasn't welcome in new york and i hope that that remains true i hope that she can't go there 
Um, and I hope that she can't go anywhere else either. Um, Bill Maher, a loser. Um, he said that now is not the right time to strike. Didn't provide any information as to when was the right time to strike. It's also just like a classic thing that bosses love to say. Oh, yeah. Here's something I just remembered. Um, it was that it was that John Stewart and the Daily Show and that the Colbert Show could not come to an agreement um, with their staff, and they went on air and they expressed their guilt for not being able to come to an agreement. They were they felt so bad about yeah. having to keep doing their show, no, to, but they did it anyway. <laughs> yeah, and well, and to like to recognize, I guess that they were doing their show in a different way. John Stewart renamed his show during that time to a Daily Show. And um, the Colbert Report was renamed the Colbert Report <laughs> to be like, see, like we're we're doing a solidarity thing, but it's still and and like the the WGA did like choose to not um, like call them out the same way that they did with Ellen, um, but that was like more of a strategic thing. Um, and it, it, it did have like a negative effect on the impact of the writer's strike because that was also like during the time of the presidential election. So it just sent a lot of viewers to those places. And I think that like we'll get into this a little bit more, but the point of the strike is to like have an impact on that industry. And so like to, to show others what happens when like, these workers are not around and so like when people don't participate in it it can have a really harmful effect and so it would have been really powerful if john stewart and stephen colbert um did not continue production of their show during that time but they they claimed that the reasoning for it was that they would have to lay off their non-writer staff um if they didn't continue the show and so they they just continued it without writers so that they can continue paying the rest of the staff that worked on that show but like john stewart's got money just you know like just pull some dollars out of your bank account i don't know if i care about that especially at that time it was like peak of like the daily show's popularity especially as like the 2008 election was going on like you were at peak viewership you could have done one episode where you said that's it we're quitting and then just quit and then just gone off and like joined the strike yeah but instead you decided to do this like cheeky tongue-in-cheek thing that liberals always do where they're like teehee yeah we we're totally in solidarity with you guys like mm -hmm." um yeah because it's just it's exhausting the the people like john stewart and stephen colbert and like showrunners and more established like writers at the time were going to be able to weather uh, the strike and then like you know, of course people like Joss Whedon like have money to to self fund to to be able to self fund like an entire uh, new media <laughs> project um, and another thing with the the open letter thing is like them really harping like you know John Stewart saying we can't shut down because of the below the line workers and then the AMPTP being like oh, if you go on strike, then all these people are going to be out of work. But, I mean, they just authorized the strike this year. You guys never cared. You guys don't care. It's just, it's a very classic, like, boss hostage tactic that's like, 
like, oh, but if you like take this action that you've already decided that you want to take, it's going to affect all these other people. And don't you feel bad when they are the ones that have the power to make sure that it doesn't affect those other people? Like if they really cared about the livelihood of these like non-writer staff, the like <laughs> like the, the bosses could, they could still pay them like they could yeah. be like you know it sucks that you're out of work because of this thing like we will just pay your like normal rates as if you were still working they made a choice not to do that because it benefits them strategically if it looks like people are suffering as a result of workers taking action and then they get to claim that those like consequences are the workers fault when they are the ones that hold the purse strings. Um, And so it's, yeah, like frustrating to me that Jon Stewart and Stephen Colbert didn't participate. Um, And then the the last um, little picket line crosser is Carson Daly, Mr. Total Request Live. They uh, they like staged a um, a demonstration outside of like his show because he um, put a call out for a or he yeah he put a call out for a joke hotline that he was running because he didn't have writers anymore. Um, He's like, please please write my jokes. So they set up like a hotline for people to call in and like submit jokes. Yeah, he was cool. he was doing like crowdfund, uh, like picket line crossing, which was fantastic. And and now where is he today? He's nowhere. If you Google Carson Daly, the first thing that comes up is a Nikki Swift video called Strange <laughs> Things About Carson Daly's Marriage. So that's what happens um, when you side with the bosses. Um, and let that be a lesson to you all. So <laughs> you could end up in a Nikki Swift video someday. Yeah. What happened to web content when the writer's strike was going on? Well, this was like around the same time that YouTube was even becoming a thing. And so, mm-hmm. of course, like traffic to YouTube increased considerably. There's a Guardian article that we can link in the description. But YouTube showed an 18% traf- traffic surge in the two months following the writer's strike and other um, online video websites like Dailymotion, Live Video, which I don't believe exists anymore, and another one called Crackle, all increased by considerable amounts. I don't think I, I know what those last two are, but besides the point, like web content became a big thing. And that is how we get to Dr. Horrible. Mmm, great. <laughs> I'm Joss Whedon, um, creator of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, and apparently a lot of screaming. Um, uh, my fans fought this up. They decided to come out and strike with us. Uh, we've had an enormous turnout. A lot of the writers, almost all of the writers from the old shows and a bunch of the actors, and a tremendous number of fans, some of whom are singing, even now, um, you know, coming out to show that, uh, that this fight isn't just being fought by the writers or for the writers. They understand that it's about them as well, both as audience members and as working people. I'm humbled by my fans. They have been raising money for charities and causes since the very first Buffy party we ever had. They never didn't put that in the mix. They have always made activism and altruism part of fandom in a way that I've never seen it before. There may be other fans, there may be two and a half men fans out there who are great, but I'm going to go on record and say that ours are the best. There's, there's a little bit of awe. 
There is. Not just at the fact of their goodwill, but their organizational skills um, sort of outweigh our own. And uh, there was a sort of, there were hushed whispers of, who are these people? Where do they come from? Do you build them in a lab? And, uh, you know, that's, they, 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 their first act when this strike started was to create fans for writers, to get all the fans together. Um, and fandoms, uh, particularly of genre shows, are known for divisiveness. These guys are proving that that's no longer the case. That they understand that, you know, we're all part of something bigger. And it's even bigger than that. It's so important because it's a union issue. Because uh, a lot of people will not be able to make a living under the laws they're trying to implement. The deal they're trying to give us will kill a lot of careers, will put a lot of people below the poverty line, and will ultimately mean that uh, they own every aspect of the storytelling process and the entertainment industry, and I don't really think they deserve to have control over either of those things. Any oh, okay. So there's a lot to say about Dr. Horrible. Um, all of it bad. Um, all of it a is big, bad. A big part of, of Dr. Horrible. Um, so so let's let's just discuss the main plot. Dr. Horrible, played by Neil Patrick Harris, um, is this like basically D-list villain within the Los Angeles greater area um, who has a vlog. Um, who is pining after this girl at the laundromat and has a hero nemesis named Captain Hammer. He keeps trying to get into the like League of Evil Villains run by somebody called Bad Horse. Um, and in order to do so, he has to commit more and more heinous acts that he keeps failing up until the point where he needs to um, basically stage an assassination. He... Um, Captain Hammer falls in love with his his love interest um, or at least seduces her because, you know, it's very much like, what did we say before? Joss Whedon's oeuvre is nice guys finish last and that every Chad out there in the world is an evil, evil man and probably a proto-fascist uh, superhero. Yeah. If Dr. Horrible was today... He would still be a blogger, but he'd be Lil Huddy. Mm -hmm. um, and, <laughs> and the villain, the villain would be Jeffree Star. Um, and Felicia Day would have to be played by like Charlie D'Amelio, I suppose. Um. <laughs> I think he would be yeah. going live, probably live on Instagram. Yeah. The, and, and to keep in mind, these are these people, like specifically the people who are the main cast. So that's Neil Patrick Harris. Felicia Day, we'll get to her in a bit, yeah. and Nathan Fillion. So those are three people that Castle himself, um, yeah, <laughs> Castle him fucking self. Um, those are three people that Josh knows very, very personally. They're in a lot of his uh, movies and now web shows and content. Um, so like, it was very clear from the start. Um, without even needing to like read any of his blogs, which we will also get to, um, that he had basically clamored together all of his uh, actor friends and people that he knew and made this web show um, with like a shoestring budget. Although they did still film on the Warner Brothers movie lot, you can tell. Which, by the way, is a form of crossing the picket line. Yes. And really like... All of this to me is um, like just extremely scab behavior 
And I Mm -hmm. feel like it's very indicative of the way that people view um, like TV and film writers and like if they actually see them as workers, the way that now that it's been over 10 years since Dr. Horrible came out, the way that it's like talked about, I found this Polygon article that um, was written in 2017 and was about um, the potential of another writer's strike that was maybe going to happen in 2017. And it goes, um, with another writer's strike threatening to shut down production on various TV shows, movies, games, and other creative industries where writers represented by the Writers Guild of America works, it's been a time of reflection. We think about the movies that suffered and the TV shows like Pushing Daisies, Lost, and Heroes that were forever changed because of it. Like I said, it can be difficult to find something to hold on to for hope. But that's what Whedon gave with us with Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog when he released <laughs> it almost 10 years ago. Like people saw it as like a like a gift that he gave them outside of like the hardship that they as viewers were experiencing during the writer's strike. Um, because who's making content for me? And, and there's and it, no more content. Because it just was because of the writer's strike that Whedon had a number of his closest friends who just so happened to be some of the most esteemed actors at his disposal for his weird idea. <laughs> and it's even, you know, like framed um, by Whedon himself as like a way to... Um, circumvent the issues that were being protested during Mm -hmm. the strike so like he had access to these actors um and i guess to the set as well because they weren't working because there was a strike happening um and i feel like for people to not see this as like an incredibly anti-worker act is maybe partly because they don't see like the members of uh, like the WGA as workers, but also like just a misunderstanding of what a strike is supposed to do because you are supposed to be like depriving the public or your bosses or whoever of like the value of your labor. And, and for them to then in that like vacuum see that your labor is valuable and that they need to like... Mm, show that they understand that by either like giving into whatever your demands are or paying you more money or both. And so for Josh to make this, <laughs> this thing that directs people's like attention away from their favorite TV show, not being on and instead being like, Oh, let me just watch this like cutesy little vlog where Neil Patrick Harris sings about how girls don't like him. It like, detracts from the fact that like other writers aren't working um and so it's it's incredibly frustrating to me that in all of the dr horrible retrospectives like that is not brought up and instead the fact that it was created during the writer's strike is seen as like an inspiration of creativity or like a little gift that he gave to us um, that is that is something that he's mentioned in several blog posts. Um, this blog is taken down now. I had to find um, archives of this blog. Um, it is called Whedon-esque. It is, it is an infamous enough blog before the height of social media that it has its own wiki page, um, specifically because of the things that he has said about the writer's strike. Um, this was 
uh, a post that he wrote in 2007. I'll read some excerpts from it. First of all, I just want to mention this design, this web design is god awful. I'm going to link it in the in the <laughs> description. There's a tiny little font right by all of these like Polaroid pictures of all of the like, uh, like basically the characters, uh, like and headshots of like Charisma Carpenter, which is like pretty vile when you like think about what he's done to Charisma Carpenter. Um, and right next to that is a tiny little font that says "Spank your inner moppet." I don't know what that means. Uh. I if you know what that means, don't tell me. Don't email me. I don't want to know. Um, anyway. December 13th, 2007, who are the real heroes? Joss thinks happy thoughts. Nothing gross, not that happy. Who are the real heroes? Obviously firefighters, relief workers, doctors without borders, and anyone who, because of their parents' brutal slaying, has become the bat. But who are my personal heroes just of late? As I bid farewell to the warm coast and head off to rally the troops and with luck soak all them scabs for crutchy. Okay. <laughs> I think I, I think on who who's out there getting it done. Um, and then like a bunch of different paragraphs, um, basically shouting out a bunch of different like nerds. Um, he talks about um the AMPTP, specifically Joshua Boot and Michael Colton, writers who put up that brilliant site. How brilliant the AMPTP, the real ones, the guys who live under the bridge scaring children, are uh, actually issued a statement griping about it. Dude, they said many rank and file WGA members found it too over the top. Yeah, I know those guys. They're sitting over there with their animation writers who chose not to join the guild. Oh, and in the same same statement, the AMPTP throws a dart at number two, Star Trek peeps, both professional and fanish. I like basically says that Star Trek <laughs> fans are uh, on the same level as uh, people who are actively striking. Um, it goes oh on. Gosh. He shouts I, I out just, firefighters again. I just feel and like then, this blog like yeah. is an example <laughs> of like why why you need like other writers <laughs> um, that it's like not just him and there are other people that are like collaborating and making these shows because it is like unlistenable yeah, yeah. it's you, a it's a real peek behind the oh curtain. my god i mean it's a real yes. peek behind the curtain that uh if if buffy or whatever firefly i don't what else does he do i don't know marvel movies marvel. Any i good, mean that like, voice it, that voice comes through still but it's like being a little bit like yeah benefits dampened. from an editor yeah. i did is not dampened in Doctor Horrible at all. No, no it's not. It's so bad. It's so Doctor Horrible bad. is very much him, and it's all him all the way through. Um, it has a really interesting, like, political outlook in it, where, mm -hmm. um, like the 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 net. Well, yeah, it's just like the nice guy. He is still a villain, and he literally causes his love interest death because he thinks that like she is making the wrong choice by dating the like the cool superhero guy and so like puts her in a situation 
that is like threatening to her life because he's going to now try to kill the superhero um, while she's in the room, even though we have previously established that none of this man's gadgets ever work. And so then he like kills her by accident, but he feels really bad. And the lesson that he learns is that sometimes doing stuff makes you feel empty inside because now you don't have a woman anymore. Um, and Felicia Day's character has no traits. No. She's got she no wants to help traits. the homeless. She wants to help, she wants the, to help the homeless. She signs outside <laughs> of the homeless shelter with a petition saying like, will you care about the homeless, please? She should have teamed up with Dr. Horrible who should have been cooler and then they should have like blown up the mayor's office yeah there's there's quite a few times where he's where he basically says like um don't you want to like take down this problem systemically like you're just putting a band a triage on like a on an open wound and she's like i don't know i guess (laughs) i think think something that's really striking to me about a lot of these like nice guy projects is that because it takes you into the like internal psyche of the nice guy like we spend all of our time with dr horrible that um i think it maybe obscures that if you were to experience that world that they've created as like any one of the other people the like the chad the popular guy would just seem cooler like we (laughs) we get to see him make some like snide remarks to dr horrible but like his public facing actions are like saving the woman um being nice to her on a date and like being hot whereas dr horrible is like sweaty and (laughs) awkward but he like feels really bad and he like thinks a lot about her and he's like really like sad about it on the inside but like we don't get to see any or you wouldn't get to see any of that if you were the felicia day character I mean, on the subject of Captain Hammer, they they do do this thing, and I think it's it's a classic, like, dark subversion or just subversion of the hero of the superhero narrative. I guess like Megamind fucking did this, where like the the villain is actually the good guy, and the hero is like some kind of is not only like the villain, but also um, there's there's some undertones that he's like kind of fascist because of like the big insignia on his chest, his belief that the homeless are like a bunch of dirty bums that need to be like, like he does this song, like everyone's a hero in their own way. And it's supposed to be kind of Felicia Day's like realization that, cause he's giving this big speech about opening a new homeless shelter. And he's saying he's going to crush the problem of homelessness with his heart. Um, he uses a lot of like violent language to like describe crushing the problem of homelessness. So it's almost like they're trying to imply that he's like, he's got some like authoritarian undertones and that's bad. Um, But like Dr. Horrible also does, like he wants to join an evil organization, like an evil league that wants to like um, wipe out like humanity. Like there's, yeah, they're not like one's not better than the other megamind at least like is a cool dude who like does a funny dance every now and then he doesn't really want to like blow up everyone i feel like it's interesting in the context of like with the writer's strike and um like because there's a part because i watched it this afternoon because i hadn't watched it in like i don't know a million years um uh where he's saying like oh don't you want yeah like kendall said the systemic issue like don't you want to put 
power into different hands, which I find really interesting because it's not better. And I feel like with this, uh, with Dr. Horrible, like that was, um, you know, attributed like to Joss Whedon with like the, the kind of like interest in, oh, we can put our own projects online. And it's like, that's supposed to be seen as, I guess, a good thing. But like him doing it this way, like just showed uh, how popular it could be to the, the big companies when they came back. And at the same time, like the writer's strike uh, disrupted so many shows. It kind of showed that you could do less episodes of TV and still have like a really good TV show, like a prestige television show. And, you know, instead of a 13 episode season or like a 22 episode season where you have to pay those writers like for so long, uh, let's start doing like eight episode seasons or like 10 episodes. Um, so I just think it's funny because it's like Dr. Horrible is definitely supposed to be like the nice guy, like Joss Whedon. And it's like, he just created like a different problem because he's also like, oh, the, the studios are like the bad, like the bad guys and seen as the heroes. But like, I like, I can be like, I can be someone, but it's like, oh, you, so you, you created more problems. Thank you. Yeah. And we Thanks. can connect the like shortened length of seasons to the, the writer's strike, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, TV it's, shows used to be 24 episodes. They used to be 22 episodes. Now what? Now it's always like 11, 13, sometimes less. And that provides less opportunities for like newer writers. It's also just less paid work overall for everyone. Um, and I know that, yeah, that was one of the, the outcomes. And I think that this kind of thing can be attributed to the sort of like pet projects that showrunners like Joss Whedon were creating at the time, not thinking about how their actions would be affecting other people or how they were literally crossing the picket line. Like another important thing of like having all of those episodes um, in a season is that a lot of lower level writers might get their first um, like foot in the door, like get a credit writing because um, there would be like a certain amount, like one or two maybe, uh, scripts that they would take from outside of the the writer's room and they might give it to um, like a showrunner's assistant or like a writer's assistant um, who's in the room uh, every day like taking notes and stuff so they know the show and then it gives them the opportunity because you get um, a really like nice chunk of change for having your name like actually on the script because like if you if you see like the credits of a TV show, it'll say like written by one person. Um, they're getting the the writing credit for that episode, but obviously like it's the writer's room. Like it's not just one person who came up with everything necessarily. Um, and so that was like kind of a way to supplement like um, writer assistant low pay. But like if you have all these shows that are like eight or ten episodes, like they're really tight. Um, it's following, you know, like a specific storyline, like you can't really give, um, an episode to like an unproven writer or whatever. Um, so yeah, that, that's leading to not having as much like 
talent of uh, talent available uh for yeah. more writing jobs yeah and i think like also the writers strike um having certain people cross the picket line having this effect on um, actual tv and film it also like had an effect on the way that digital content is used to exploit like existing labor laws and to get away with not paying people as much as they would be paid or to not offer them the same protections like i think that um the, the Eating for Free Jojo Siwa episode is a really great deep dive into how um, child YouTube content doesn't have to follow any of the same um, like existing child entertainer labor laws that are were like hard, hard fights. Um, and they're still not great, but it is like at least the protections that we have. And now there is nothing stopping, you know, a family from having their child um, be homeschooled so that they can just produce content on their family vlog all day long. I also recently spoke to a friend who was um, contracted by a major media company to create TikToks for their page and was tasked with writing the, like, the actual content for the videos, coming up with the themes for for those content, like directing it themselves, um, you know, setting up their own lighting, their own like staging, and was paid um, 250 to 350 per TikTok. And so that like, I think is sort of what happens when we move into this like unregulated market or when the like digital sphere is being treated as like separate from the the sphere of like tv and film and like traditional content production which is exactly what the writer's strike was trying to fight over and i think that's why i'm so frustrated that josh whedon like went around that because it was literally one of the the demands (laughs) was that they they wanted to have like a seat at the table when discussing like digital content being produced by like major production companies and then he was like but what if I did like a what if I did like my own thing what if I did like a different (laughs) thing what if I did that right now what if I did it while you were fighting over that would that be okay? I'm not like other <laughs> I'm not like other directors. Um I think it's important like you were saying that like like we we get into these new untapped and unregulated markets and that right now is uh new media and YouTube um and we have to like I I think I really have to stress Dr. Horrible was a huge part of that. Like yeah, it was a, it was then a huge and then it. and now like first first of all the it's not really novel now but the idea of like a web show especially directed by someone who is considered like holly big hollywood and like austere in some way in the nerd sense yeah like it's like high Um, budget for a web yeah for for a web show it's pretty high budget looking at it you're like this is uh (laughs) this is midi files the the mixing's terrible and like this looks like garbage but he he self-funded it apparently like for just over two hundred thousand dollars self-funded so i mean like how is this supposed to be helping when it's like you're just a rich guy who can afford to make this while like your fellow writers are starving it is it is like a vanity project with a capital V through and through. And then and now the news was like 
whoa like you can make a you can make like a web show and it can be like can it can be almost as good as like traditional tv and like wow like maybe web shows are the way of the future there were tons of articles like where in interviews where Joss was like yeah i think web shows are like the way of the future and that's how we should do things the, the thing about new media is that it's new um they haven't put up the fences yet it's prairie land there is no formula um, the reason I think Dr. Horrible worked and the reason I believed it would work from the start was because there are no rules and everybody had created their own rules about you can't watch, nobody will watch for more than three minutes. Nobody will watch anything that's longer than nine minutes. Nobody will, you know, they, there was a bunch of nobody wills. Um, and my feeling was if something is entertaining enough, people will watch it until it is over. And it's not like we, you know, really tested them. I didn't make, you know, the original Solaris in four hours. It's just... 12 minutes a pop, but um, but it was not having that restriction meant that we could just focus on whatever we cared about in the story. And, and as long as we were tight, as long as we didn't stretch it out and sort of let things sag, as long as we, you know, cared about the story as much as anybody, um, it didn't matter. Nothing mattered. When we put it on, how we put it on, uh, that could all be decided by us. And there were definitely one way to do thing or another, and the, what we wanted to do was... Uh, you know, make it accessible to people and fun and make an event out of it and say something about the internet, which was, there are no rules, so let's all get out there and play. Disappeared as a moral dilemma Cause at first it was weird Though I swore to eliminate the worst of the plague That devoured humanity It's true, I was vague on the how So how can it be that you have shown me the light? Ultimately, creating content for uh, the internet is almost exactly the same as creating content for anything else. When we did Dr. Horrible, we were very specific about making it sort of adhere to the ethos and, and structure of the internet. Obviously, it's blog is in the title and the hero does blog and it's for the kind of people who are at their computers a lot. It's about superheroes. It's It's got some things. But then again, it's also a musical, which is not necessarily uh, the sort of thing you'd expect to see. I cannot believe my eyes How the world's finally grown and wise But it's plain to and see fact of the matter is um, we we wanted to respect the medium we were in but when it came down to breaking the story it was still where are the act breaks where are the big moments and how do we figure out this stupid heist uh, it was just as painful and strange as breaking any story and that's just like him tapping into an unregulated market that is free of any unions at the time um, and, still and we're is. still and it still is yeah. um, what what happened to the Internet Creators Guild? It crumbled. So right. I mean, like TV can be really good. It's also, you know, like fueled by advertisements and advertisers have been like learning over the past decade that they can get just as much, if not more um, like returns on their their ads by placing them in YouTube videos or by like giving influencers something to market. And so this whole like digital sphere is like very much um, a way to get around existing labor protections, um, which is why it's like really important that when a strike is happening, that you support the workers and like these low, the low level workers that were mentioned in the open letter, if, if Josh had $200,000 
why didn't he just give it to them? Why did he make a bad <laughs> musical? I feel, I think I read earlier that, um, I mean, like, I don't know that he didn't, that no one got paid, like, when they made it. So, like, he didn't, yeah. like, no one got compensated, but they got, they got compensated later because it made, like, a pretty huge profit. Uh, so, like, they did get paid later, but I'm like, so, you know, it kept saying that the cast is so small, and it is kind of yeah like oh I just happen to have all these friends that are actors but like there were a bunch of extras in it and people who like still have to help set this up like I don't know I don't know who who or how many people were like on the crew for this like I know it wasn't just Joss Whedon in a camera um so like I don't know like I really don't know what they were like doing out there like were they just like were they even getting fed like I don't know 200,000 is like not a huge budget <laughs> I do know he he ordered pizza for the writer strike at one point oh, I love pizza <laughs> yeah. day. so somebody that's got so fed funny. that's classic well, pizza Boston day also is like it, you it ask is. for a raise and then they're like so would you would you like pizza or if they feel kind of <laughs> bad yeah, like, they're oh. like, so I, I heard that everyone was feeling a little bit frustrated about our low pay so rates. Tomorrow's so great. We, yeah, we got we got pizza for everyone. Does that fix the problem? So you're telling me that Felicia Day, this <laughs> this broad, <laughs> the vice grip. She did this. She did this shit for free. I mean, I don't. The vice that makes it even worse. Yeah, I feel like for people that don't know, for people who are like. Um, she also I made mean, her own web mind. show, which I do want to talk about at yeah, some point. The Guild. Um, yeah. For people that don't know things, Felicia Day really had the men in a tizzy. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and every... white female nerds in a vice grip, her oh, and Olivia yeah, they Munn. All, they all wanted to be her. They wanted to be her. They wanted to be with her. Everyone was dyeing their hair just like this putrid shade of auburn. They were all wearing <laughs> sundresses. They, you know, they were they were cosplaying Zoe Don't Chanel at the same time. They're putting fingerless little glasses gloves. on, fingerless gloves. They were like, "Oh, I'm a nerd. I'm quirky. I'm interesting. I love Star Trek. You have to, I you have to get the stuff. the 3D movie glasses and punch out the lenses. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Let it be known that Felicia Day. Felicia Day started off by making her own web show. That's right. She's part of this. She's part of the web show um industry she's um, also allegedly on strike like during this time she was Mm -hmm. one of the striking actors which i think is really um gross and Mm -hmm. felicia day like come on big soy naturals i will fight you um where is she now what happened Uh, to her i mean like i she was in uh the mystery science theater like reboot which i did enjoy um yeah but that's the only thing I would know that she does. I think she still like does plenty of stuff. Just nothing that I care to watch. Definitely. Yeah. It's stuff that definitely appeals to the older millennial crowd um, as they age um, and as she ages. So too. Felicia Day is definitely like for people who self-describe as Hufflepuffs. Like not not just people (laughs) who like sort themselves into Harry Potter houses, but people who sort themselves into Harry Potter houses and pick Hufflepuff. That's Felicia Day. (laughs) I hope that yeah, she's having no. a terrible time. 
her her web show was specifically about World of Warcraft um, yeah. with a, a, a Blizzard production, which I know she didn't know at the time, but I think that makes her spiritually a scab. Like from the from the get. I mean, I think that's why Joss like kind of recruited her because she already mm -hmm. had experience like doing a web series. So yeah, like oh, how do we how do we do that? Yeah, how do we do a web series? had the absolutely wrong approach to things and I think it really set us back for a few years where she had all of these like nerdy like traditionally male interests you know she's like oh I like Star Wars I like um World of you Warcraft. sound, you sound know, so unsure know. when you say Star Wars <laughs> I just don't know what I don't know what's in Star Wars I haven't so seen what it. I don't are the know nerds, like. what are the nerds like these yeah. days and and uh, so Still Star, Wars. Yeah, still Star and, Wars. But and so instead of I don't know, like her thing was being like, see, I'm like just as nerdy as the guys. Like I know just as much about these things as they do. Let me demonstrate my interest. Let me name five things. When instead she should have done what we do, which is insist, like, no, the Matrix is for women. Like <laughs> Fight Club is a movie made by women for women. <laughs> I don't yeah. need to fight my way into the boys' club. The boys' club is just mine, and I own it. Like yes. that's <laughs> it's just say that from. <laughs> I, yeah, it was just like a lot of like um, like trying to demonstrate like your your knowledge and your fandom in order to gain acceptance into male circles that I just found like really annoying at the time, and now I find very sad because like mm-hmm. then you end up a body pillow in every mouth breather's bedroom. <laughs> I I kept like searching because I was like, I feel like the missing link of this time that hasn't been mentioned is like Chris Hardwick. Uh, mm-hmm. Because I was like, did, did they not do stuff together? But I, I guess not. Um, That's shocking to me. I could have sworn they did. Like, maybe they did, but I'm like, what? What is it they did? Because I was like, oh yeah, okay. They were on like uh, The Nerdist. Oh, the she was that on podcast? at least like yeah. Um, I think they made like a show. Yeah, it. yeah. She was on at least one episode, but like yeah, because like Jonah Ray from Mystery Science Theater was like on it. Like, so I think that's the connection. And like yeah. all of Chris Hardwick's like little post talking shows that like blew up, like Talking Bad, and just like all of his little like hosting shows is like <clears throat> the other the other like little link of this like 2007 to like 2010 period of time i feel like the house of cards of like of nerddom yeah. that existed in this period is honestly foul like yeah. it's <laughs> like tra- these people... traumatic to remember yeah i i'm i'm sweating like i'm upset. <laughs> Wait, did we know that josh Whedon's wife is asian Yes, that really throws I did. a wrench into everything. I knew her name, and I knew it about it's her. giving. I did she, not know, but co-wrote. I, I was like, when we were talking about, I was like, there's ha, there has, he must have been married to an Asian woman, mm-hmm. like right. Yeah. There's no way he wasn't. Yeah, yeah Marissa. There's no um, way he didn't talk about it. who who co-wrote um, Doctor Horrible with him, and like has been on uh, some of his other projects as like a co-writer. Um, she's yeah she's an asian woman that really throws a 
well, a nasty little wrench into. <laughs> it's giving Wait, into libertarian. It's giving like there's just something sinister. Wait, no, hold on. Every facet. Hold on. I'm sorry. There's too many, too many Whedons. I'm oh, I was making shit up. Um, oh, Marissa is, is the wife of Jed Whedon and not, Jed. not Joss. So scratch okay. that. Was doing misinformation. Okay, now Let's these names are giving what, what Josh's wife's ethnicity is. Let's find out. <laughs> oh, God. Let's play the game I show. Just, what is Josh's wife? <laughs> I just don't trust it. I feel like he's up to something. I think, um, oh, is, I'm looking at Heather Horton as a name, and uh, he was married previously. Oh, that's yes, his new Kyle, wife. Kyle is, is a divorced woman who kind of looks like Felicia Day, so oh. that's interesting. But um, I do feel like, you know, we, we've previously, like, established the, the white woman colorism binary, where, like, blondes yes. are at the top, brunettes are oppressed by them. Redheads. Thank you. <laughs> they they exist in their own special little space where I don't feel like they're being oppressed by the blondes or the brunettes, but they are being oppressed by by men um, mm. who are just like mm. incredibly horny for them, and they have to deal with that, um, and that's that's the cross that they have to bear. Um, and it's like shocking to me because I was like, he got divorced, right? And I was like looking at his Wikipedia, and he got married this year to a woman named heather horton who also appears to be a redheaded woman (gasps) nasty that's so nasty okay it's got a tire once it comes twice is a hobby (laughs) (laughs) i think that's that's as far as like that like um appearance fetishes that that men can have it's probably like the least problematic because after Mm. that you get into racist ones where like his brother you know i don't know him but i'm gonna just say he probably has an asian fetish i don't trust white guys um that are dating (laughs) there's usually something going on there Um, is a redhead fetish not just a subconscious irish fetish (laughs) i believe it sure yeah (laughs) I guess as a, as an Irish person, I do have to, to take some yeah. issue with that. But <laughs> just like as far as like types of people that white guys can be into, that's the one that does the, the least uh, like societal harm. But mm-hmm. I, they I should say, just stop overall. Like and then like as far as the the badass women characters that mm-hmm. he's known for being like an ultra feminist for or whatever. Like the thing is, is that they're always these like very tiny women like very small petite like thin women who are like doing these ridiculous stunts like you know can like punch a grown man like a huge like 200 pound dude like Mm -hmm. uh and like mess them up but it's like consistent across like his various uh productions I guess and it's kind of it's kind of weird like you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm so dainty and like, like I'm a girl, yeah. but I can, I can beat you up. He's like, it doesn't that. work that way. He'll be like, I bet you didn't think that a cheerleader could throw a punch, but I yeah. got you. Like, <laughs> it's like you're <laughs> allowed to have more. muscle, 
and like we should please more to like the dainty side in Doctor Horrible in the sense that I can't hear a fucking oh word my she God. says. I cannot hear anything she is singing. I cannot hear her like for one second. It's I so don't know what she's saying. Like, soft and like I was, yeah, devoid like, of you, anything. We talked, we talked <laughs> about like Mister Horrible, Doctor Horrible himself, like being an example of like Josh's like sexism being externalized. But what was really striking to me was just, like, how awful the Felicia Day character is. She's so bland. Oh, yeah. Like, she's just, like, if you listed the traits of femininity, like, like nurturing and, like, nice and kind of like a mom does laundry, um, that's all that she is. Like, <laughs> that is she's got no trait at this traits. point is that she does that's, laundry, yeah. That's what yeah. outs him as not a feminist, right? As not this guy who writes badass characters because the minute that he doesn't have a team behind him of writers because they're all on strike, um, it's suddenly out of that he's, he doesn't actually believe that women can like, save themselves or like be badass or whatever which is already like reductive but then like it's just be like the minute that he's like devoid of a team it's just gone she just becomes this like nurturing plank of wood i love to be a hater so like you know sometimes it's like oh you know it was it was bad but it was it i hadn't seen this in so long and it was shocking like it was really Shocking. shocking that the character really has no like no personality like he has a None. very distinctive writing voice like obviously and she doesn't get like any any fun little lines at all uh she doesn't get any of the those stupid little joss whedon quits no yeah. she gets none of them none of like the little like wordy wordy jokey jokes that he does yeah nothing not a single one she's I just do. she's just kind of there to be fought I over like- 2007 2008 like the early obama era was such a bleak time for art because this was so well received and i also watched it for the first time in like over a decade and i was really just like wondering over and over like i don't understand how this got the reception that it got because it was it's just bad like the story is not that interesting. I feel like the idea of a superhero actually kind of being a bad person has been explored like lots of different times in different ways. Um, and Dr. Horrible being like a sympathetic villain was like it's been done with the, the Joker like a bunch. Mm-hmm. Is it just it's- the Joker? I haven't seen the Joker. That's another like men's... <laughs> that's a thing for um, men that's they can have that one joker's more like one of those like misunderstood bojack depressed types in the new joker movie um so watchmen Ryan. watchmen's <laughs> like one of those like megamind like i said sure. megamind does this better <laughs> and not to like not to like praise dream dream works for anything but like i liked megamind <laughs> You're valid. <laughs> That's fine. I haven't seen it. Even though but... Tina Fey is in it, I Tina kind Fey of like Megamind. Oh, she man. is. She's the love interest. <laughs> um. So I guess like the, you know, the reason that we were talking about any of this is because like, yeah, like we mentioned before, the IATSE strike just was authorized. 
And I think that we can learn some things from how the writer's strike affected TV after it ended and also what um, bosses did during that time. And it can maybe inform us about what things we can do to support striking workers. Um, We have a little, you know, we've got some boots on the ground. Um, the, The Catholic climate change activists uh, <laughs> shared with us some of some of their thoughts about what they think is going to happen and they said that um, it seems like probably you know non-union workers from film schools are going to take over and try to make it work but like film editors are also in the union so like really I'm very interested in seeing exactly what kind of content is going to come out but I think we've also seen from the Dr. Horrible example that like there's probably going to be an influx of like web content that we should keep an eye out for and make the conscious decision to not support yeah I mean don't even just like watch it with an ad blocker on just don't watch it period like that's it's it's going to be bad <laughs> so there's really no reason I mean, to punish yourself yeah so like you were uh <laughs> it's funny you mentioned dreamworks because uh co he's the co-creator of uh dreamworks mm-hmm. <laughs> uh made a little little app r.i.p quibi <laughs> Um, which I used was... to work for them. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's pretty much like, uh, well, well, it's a couple things. It's old people not understanding why why younger people look at their phones and thinking that like you can just slide whatever in front of them and they'll be they'll just watch it. Um, and then it was also a very convenient way to like not pay people uh as much as they should because it's like a new media thing and they basically did did some little uh did a little loophole that would allow them to film all of this work but then chop it up into smaller pieces and basically just pay like a smaller amount overall because they were saying it wasn't like a large production if that makes sense, which is yeah, even though could be could be or like execs admitted that they shoot feature length films and that they cut them down into yeah. five or ten minute sizes, so it's like the same kind of work that would be done on a union production, um, but because of how they were then like choosing to like cut the final project, they were like yeah, so it's actually less work, so you get less pay. Yeah, I think it said it averaged out that, like, um, at least below the line workers uh, were making, like, $10 an hour or less on on average. Like, or I'm sorry, not $10 an hour, $10 an hour less than what they should have been paid. Like, so I don't know if it was, like, they would normally make $50 an hour across a certain amount and they were only getting paid, like, 40 it's yeah. a sizable chunk yeah. that was missing. Well, you're missing a from, lot. Yeah, from your paycheck every month. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, and like the reason that they were able to get away with paying those lower rates is because they were subscription based, and that is like the point of new media. Um, and this, I think, was like 
egregiously true for Quibi, but is also true for like Netflix productions, Hulu productions, like a lot of these like newer streaming services, um, like exist outside of the realm of traditional media. And so they don't have to follow the same rules. Um, Netflix is like not as bad as, as Quibi was. Um, and they do sometimes use union labor, but like, I think we really like have to keep an eye out for whatever is going to be happening on like TikTok or YouTube, especially like during mm-hmm. this time. Um, and it's going to be bad. Like yeah. if it's film students without God. editors. <laughs> if you've ever content. gone to film school and seen what they make uh, under the guide of like a teacher, imagine what they will do with a budget and pretty much no, no oversight. Editor. I yeah, yeah. No I am unfortunately uh, the holder of a film school degree, so yeah, but you're I, different. I you're do valid. not I do not endorse I do not endorse film students just filling in like <laughs> oh my lord. Um I think maybe what we can end on is just like sharing why um, like IATSE workers are going on strike since they Mm -hmm. just authorized it and maybe maybe people don't know. Yeah. Let's give people the knowledge. Let's Mm -hmm. give people the information. Um, So it was it was announced recently um, that 60,000 members who work in television and film production across the country have voted on a nearly unanimous margin. This is this is important to note that this is a vote. This is not like a strike yet. This is just a vote to strike within the union itself. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a vote to grant. IATSE International President Matthew Loeb, uh, the authority to call a strike. Um, It's the first time in their 120-year history that members of the union have authorized a nationwide strike. So that's not just Hollywood. That's everywhere. That's all film studios across the U.S. Um, So that's New York, um, Atlanta. There's a lot of film studios in Atlanta right now. So Loeb said specifically, the members have spoken loud and clear. This vote is about the quality of life, as well as the health and safety of those who work in the film and television industry. Our people have basic human needs, like time for meal breaks, adequate sleep, and a weekend. Uh, For those at the bottom of the pay scale, they deserve nothing less than a living wage. So their, their demands are to... Currently, these will obviously be updated over time as um, they continue to move towards a strike. But right now they want um, the alliance of motion picture and television uh, producers to make a fair deal with IATSE and address grievous problems, including excessive and unsafe, harmful working hours, really, really long working hours, unlivable wages for the lowest paid crafts. So that includes people like PAs, um, consistent failure to provide reasonable rest during meal breaks between work days and on weekends. A lot of these people work overtime, excessive amounts. Um, workers on certain new media streaming projects get paid less, even on productions with budgets that rival or exceed those of traditionally released blockbusters. They want people to address new media workers being paid unfairly specifically. That is one of the things that they want to address. 
So that's really important to put in here. Um, that's a huge move. Um, it's really, really important that we ask our listeners to sit in solidarity with these people. Um, the strike isn't happening yet, but when it does, they will probably ask you to cancel your Hulu subscription and your Netflix subscription um, and all of your other streaming subscriptions. Um, so do that, please. Yeah, I mean, like, we don't know yet what the, the demands will be, but just like thinking about different ways that um, digital media has gotten away with exploiting workers um, and maybe keeping keeping that in mind like as things go on with what sort of projects you support and if it turns out that who's who's the josh whedon of 2021 is there oh, one god um it would have been max landis if he hadn't been canceled <laughs> okay. well if max landis comes out with a new hot tiktok <laughs> theory like maybe consider not watching it um, <laughs> I don't think that'll be like, hard. There are like 60,000 workers that like voted to authorize this strike. And that's everyone from like cinematographers to editors to makeup artists, food workers. Like it is a lot of people. I have friends in IATSE and like people work. I think we for, all do. At yeah, this point. We, yeah, I think yeah. we all, all do. I wasn't <laughs> like people work <laughs> for like over 12 hours a day, like sometimes the rates are pretty low um like they don't have breaks all the time like and especially with covid it's just really important that whatever it is that these workers like ask from us is something that we do and it's also important that we don't let anything like dr horrible happen ever again ever again we can never again have a 2021 dr horrible starring lil huddy and no midi file musicals story. please it's just like, absolutely no. i mean oh I, I think it's i think it's pretty much i i yeah i think it's pretty much always uh obviously anti-worker propaganda to be like oh you know they're they're being so greedy like to go on strike or whatever demanding more money or blah 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 like shouldn't don't you just love your craft or whatever <laughs> um <laughs> But like the the things that they're demanding are so reasonable. It's so, so reasonable. like such the bare minimum. Like there there are so many incidents of people having to work these insane hours and then having to drive home and then getting into car accidents. Like that's and for like not any money basically. Uh, and that's None. stupid. It's TV and movies, yeah. which like. <laughs> make a lot of money but like no one should be dying over well, and those workers don't see a lot of those money i i have a friend that tells me about how common it is that people um that they work with have to get like prescriptions for medication that helps them stay up because of these like incredibly long hours that they work and then they need like additional medicine to help them fall asleep and um, I believe that when they were telling me about the conditions that they were working under where this was happening, they were making 18 an hour. So it's pretty fucking ridiculous that an industry that like produces all of this wealth for the people at the top have their workers like suffering like that. And I think that's something that 
we noticed in the writer's strike of 2007 to 2008 was that a lot of people felt this like entitlement to content, which is like what you could see in that Polygon article where they were talking about how, how sad it was that Heroes didn't wasn't good anymore and uh, whatever the other shows were. But then we got the, the nice gift of Dr. Horrible. And I think that like, we need to like examine if we have those tendencies in ourselves and if you feel like you are owed entertainment and because um, there's going to be if a strike happens like some kind of publicity effort to make people feel frustrated with the workers that were on strike because you don't get the the nice the nice content that you want and you only get bad film student content and you know just to like move uh onto that like i like with the rise of apps like tiktok which is essentially tv right it's just tv that is like you know quote unquote democratized in some way um a lot of people are writing articles uh about how is tiktok like the new wave of entertainment is it going to change the way things are um and so these influencers that are very young will probably get picked up by a lot of these people and booked in order to make content both on the app and off um, in order to basically substitute um, any traditional content makers. A lot of people on this app have learned over the course of these past two years and longer how to just edit using their phone, you know? how to just put together a video and like, boop, there it goes. It's up there now, also, just like, on your phone. Since, so like for a few years and stuff, like casting directors, um, they're looking for people who already have a social media following, uh, which I'm like, okay, you know, just because you have a hundred thousand followers on Instagram doesn't mean you can like act in a movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but okay, but like, you know, they're, they're, because they, they see it as again, like old people not understanding why people look at their phones, uh, and being like, oh, well, they really like this, this guy, um, this teenage boy, and he has, you know, a million followers on TikTok. That means that's a million people that go see this movie, guaranteed. Which, like, I don't know if Dr. that's Harvey what you should be doing. Dr. Harwell starring Lil Huddy is coming. Addison Ray is Felicia you know Day. Be, you know it'll be a reboot because they can't come up with new ideas. So it, it, will, be, <laughs> it will be Dr. Harwell, but it'll be called Dr. Huddy. Dr. E-Boy. <laughs> E-Boy. Okay. On that note, goodbye. Good luck. Thanks, Norway. I love you. Solidarity with Ayatsi. And Norway. Goodbye. <laughs> and Norway. And Norway. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> Bye. I don't want smoke. I just want smoke. Cock is one of my favorite tastes. I don't want smoke. I just want smoke. When I hit the pipe, I'm like Walter White. Not only that, I feel like a doll smell amazing. Yeah, I like green because it makes me lean. And I smoke high because I'm blowing clouds. When are I in fact high, it's time to smoke. They are dangerous loud, people. Like, I cannot when I get it far enough down my throat to be what? satisfied. I'm only satisfied when I feel those intense, powerful, salty, hot pumps of cum down my throat. I don't want smoke. I just want smoke. This is a certified Big Soy Naturals classic.
And the man who tries to tell you that they'll take your job away He's the same man who was scamming hard just the other day And your union's not a union till he's thrown out of the way And he's choking on your legs Well, the chain of the chain And he's choking on your legs Well, the chain For now the times are telling you the times are rolling on And you're fighting for the same thing, the jobs that will be gone. Now it's only fair to ask your boys.